whiskeys to share and, and, and sh share and sample. That's not the whiskey talking. That's just me being tired on a Sunday night. Mark Graben and Jamie Flinchball are two guys drinking whiskey while chatting about lean ideas, experiences, and news. Let's hope they hold their liquor because they're not holding back on sharing their opinions. It's time for Lean Whiskey, Lean Talk with a Fun Spirit. Hello and welcome. This is Jamie Flinchball here with Mark Graben for Episode 7 of Lean Whiskey Podcast. How are you doing, Mark? I'm doing great. How are you, Jamie? Wonderful. Good. Good to have a chance to do this again with you. These are always a lot of fun. We've got some... I've already poured my whiskey. Have you? I have poured it, yes, and uh, ready ready to start some more tasting. So yeah. it's a Sunday evening and a, a great way to sort of cap off the weekend and, and uh, roll into the week. Yeah. So sometimes, you know, we get the ball rolling, talk about, you know, what was going on over the weekend. I think we decided we're going to talk shop a little bit, just get the ball rolling. Um, you know, Jamie, what's something that you've worked on recently that was new and interesting to you? Well, new and interesting almost always involves me putting my toes into a pool I haven't been in. And so um, recently, I, I one of the boards of directors I serve on, I, I would always ask questions about cybersecurity and how well protected we are and what's our countermeasures. And so uh, we decided, as is now popular and I think important, to start a cybersecurity subcommittee for the board, which I'm now leading. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not uh, inherently qualified for for that, except for the fact that I'm just going to dig in, roll up my sleeves, be inquisitive, and then we we pull some of the the uh, folks from inside the company and outside the company into the process. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying learning more about that uh, from a process standpoint, technology standpoint. And, uh, and, and really, if you, if you talk about a lot of companies always having to improve to stay ahead of the competition, well, it's a different kind of competition, but this is certainly an area where uh, it, it certainly is continuous effort. Yeah. Well, and I, yeah, like you said, you don't need to be an expert on cybersecurity, but even when, when you said talking about countermeasures, I, I wonder if this is one of these areas where it's tempting for organizations. Uh, I'm sure all sorts of companies are throwing solutions at them and it would be tempting to go with some trendy solution without stepping back and having the discipline to say, hey, what is this really a countermeasure to an important problem or situation, right? Yeah, and I think that's, you know, it's, it's, it's understanding that the, the wide variety of risks, what they are relative to your company, and then what is being done on both sides of the equation. Um, I think the thing that really woke me up to this was, uh, uh, you know, not a lot of it is reported. It's reported when consumer data is stolen, yeah. but there's so much more that goes on that's never really makes the news. And, uh, I had one uh, as a speech being given by a, a cybersecurity expert who used to be on the other side as a hacker. And he said, if your CIO says you've never been hacked, you should fire them right now. <laughs> they they it, just it don't was, know. <laughs> well, he was saying, you know, everybody has been at some yeah. level. It yeah. might not always be severe. It's certainly not always newsworthy, but you know, it, it's, you just can't stay that well protected. So, 
um, he's saying you, you have somebody that isn't facing the, the music. So it is, it is, uh, it, it is about control and it's about minimizing damage as much as it is about preventing anything from ever happening. Yeah. And that, that comment of the CIO, I'll, I'll paraphrase the Toyotaism that I think will be familiar to a lot of listen, listeners. Um, no hacking is a problem instead of right. no problems. Is a problem. Yeah, that's a, that's a good, uh, that's a good corollary. My apologies to Toyota for that. Well, I'm sure they're, they're working on the problem just as much, um, you know, cause they have consumer data and they have product data and that's pretty valuable to a lot of people. So, yeah. Well, then there's the, the future of uh, connected cars potentially being hacked. Yeah, and we've already seen, I remember the first videos were of, I think, Jeeps uh, yeah. being hacked from cars from behind. And, and um, you know, really, again, it's about isolating control and uh, isolating the problems and making sure that the control is still in the right hands of, of important outcomes. Uh, so I, I, I have a feeling that we'll, we'll always be battling that but i you know i think that we're we being you know the the industrial community at at large taking the threat seriously and um and working diligently and and deliberately um to to thwart as much of the risks as possible yeah that's important really important stuff so what's uh, what have you been new, new and interesting on your plate well, so the last couple of months, I've been uh, two weeks a month at an ambulatory surgery center that's part of uh, a larger health system. So I've done a little bit of OR work, but this is the first time I've been in a, you know, kind of a dedicated standalone outpatient surgery center. And this was the first project where, you know, I, I mean, this is the first project where in this setting, the way to, to blend in working with frontline staff, being at the Gemba, and they're like, you should just wear scrubs every day. So that was new for me. I've worn scrubs occasionally, but it's never, it was starting, this is the first time it's been a regular thing. I, I, had, to get comf- I had to get comfortable being that comfortable, to be honest. Well, yeah, I mean, we talk about business casual, and we don't wear ties anymore, and, mm. and uh, you know, scrubs are just a step above pajamas. So uh, <laughs> it, it is... But it, but it, it is, you know, you, you are, you are the value added staff for a large part. If you're in scrubs, that's where the, the real work is done. And, um, and I'm sure when you're not in scrubs in a hospital, you're, you're either, you know, administration or you're a patient. So, or a consultant <laughs> or a consultant. Right. So it's sure this is a much better way to get close to close to the work and even be trusted by, by folks uh, who are yeah. always going to be skeptical of outsiders. Yeah. And, um, you know, the first couple levels of management there where generally wear scrubs every day. Um, but a lot of hospitals have not gotten the business casual memo yet. So right. the, the new process and the planning I had to come up with was, you know, the, the hospital would let me borrow scrubs and I'd have an inventory of a couple pants and a couple tops and put them in the laundry there and grab some new ones. And, but I did have to have rather formal business clothes suit and tie if we were over at the main hospital to go meet with leaders who are in suits and ties. So um, it was kind of this weird back and forth. I I like to, I'm normally fine with business casual there in the middle between suit and tie and scrubs. Yeah. 
Yeah, it is. It is an environment where, uh, you know, the, 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 the appearance is, is important and, you know, everyone it, it's, it is fundamentally an environment where that needs to be trusted, right. By their patients, uh, by regulators, by others. And so, uh, so whatever, in all sorts of ways, we try to send signals that we are trustworthy in the healthcare sector. So, um, I'm sure that there's some legitimacy behind the code and probably some old habits as well. Yeah. I'd I'd be curious to see studies and data um, as much as the people in healthcare say, Hey, show me studies and data. Um, It could be habit. I did ask a a hospital CFO once because I got to know him well enough and we're chatting. I'm like, so, you know, so many other industries, even banking in a lot of cases has gone away from suits and ties and, his response was, well, the, the, the patients expect us to dress this way. I don't, I don't know if that's really patient-focused other than there's a habit that patients expect you to, to dress this way. Like we, so I, right. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, it, it, it might be true, but um, um, it, maybe it's just easier not to question that one. So, yeah. But that was a, a good project. It, it didn't, didn't drive me to drink per se, but... I am enjoying this whiskey just because. So I don't. Do you want to, just, do you want to <laughs> switch in the whiskey talk? <laughs> yeah, let's let's switch into whiskey talk. Um, our the first word of our our title. Uh, so um, I think we've had some interesting selections. I'll, I'll be curious if we get to you know episode thirty or fifty and what kind of themes we'll end up with for our whiskey selection. The theme might be here's something we haven't had yet. <laughs> yeah, here, here's the here's the last bottle left on the shelf. So. Um, so this this week, uh, we've we've always tried to introduce each other to different stuff. Uh, when we go out, we'll usually not just order the same old stuff. Well, you know, you've you've especially introduced me to some stuff uh, and said, "Well, let's let's go someplace and try this." So so we, we thought we'd try the same thing, and so we we created some samples for each other out of our collections and um, uh, did some sharing, and and we've unfortunately. Already, already tasted most of that that set, but we have at least one uh, one dram left uh, for each. Um, so, uh, so we're each going to try something for the first time that we've selected for each other, and and I did uh, select something that I thought for sure you haven't had because it was it was brand new to me, um, and, and maybe not you even were, you were correct in this guess. Yeah, yeah, I was correct. That's good. Um, and, and this comes as a couple of the selections so far have for me from, from my Bounty Hunter uh, Whiskey Club, a Whiskey of the Quarter Club. Um, it's, it's a great way to be introduced to, uh, uh, to, to, new, to new whiskeys. Um, uh, not a sponsor of the, of, the, of the podcast, but they're pretty close to maybe where they should be. So, so, so this was one that I found really surprising. It, it, it's a Canadian whiskey. It's called Pendleton's Director's Reserve 20-Year Blended Canadian Whiskey. And Canadian whiskey is, is one that uh, the, the only time I probably would have Canadian whiskey is if I was at someone else's house and they, it's all they had and that's what they poured me. But I, I, I can't <laughs> say I would ever really yeah. order it. Just not, not in my uh, 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 horizon of what I'm looking for. And, and this, was, this was an interesting story you know, kind of backstory just around what Pendleton does. And, you know, this is blended and they, they do their own, their own stuff that they select from other stuff as they blend. 
Uh, it comes in a leather pouch. The whole bottle comes in a leather pouch and a great presentation, I will say. And when I tasted it, um, I was I was pretty surprised at how good. By no means it's the favorite thing I've ever had, but right. but it was by far the best thing I've ever had as a Canadian whiskey. So so that's what I selected for you. So I think you've already already tasted it. But what do you what do you think? I, I have. Um, I'm having a couple sips of it here. So I'm I'm with you. No offense to any Canadian friends who are listening. I generally don't drink. Canadian whiskey, like if I'm in Canada, um, try to be polite when I'm there. Like I, I try to drink local, and so I have tried Canadian whiskey, but um, it's just not generally in my wheelhouse. This is, um, you know, it's it's forty percent alcohol by volume. It's it's a fairly light whiskey, sort of like right. a light Scotch might be. It's got. I mean, to me, there's, there's, a, it's fairly sweet. I'm not the best at pulling out flavors, but it seems kind of orangey. And the tasting notes say there's aromas of orange peel. Um, there's a lot of vanilla. So you know, it, it's, it's, it's fine, but it's just like I said, it's just not going to be my my go-to. And but no, interesting sure to try. That's not yeah. a, that's not a that's not a free advertisement for Pendleton. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Excellent. Yeah. So not so not excuse for every for person, me? right? What was that? I was just saying, what you what did you select for me? So when I selected for Jamie, and I'm gonna have to start putting together a little quick spreadsheet summary of what we've had now that we're into episode seven. So what I shared with Jamie yeah. is actually what I drank in episode one. So this is a Texas whiskey, which to some might sound as, you know, like out of your wheelhouse as, as Canadian whiskey. Um, it's a Texas a straight bourbon whiskey from Garrison Brothers. And this is a, re- a release called Balmeray. It's named after uh, a state park with a big uh, water, big pond, lake kind of thing. And uh, the clinking Sorry, I hope that wasn't too loud. <laughs> there's a metal, there's a, there's a, a metal star on the front of the bottle, and there is a metal medallion hanging around the neck because it was named the American Micro Whiskey of the Year 2019 by Jim Murray's Whiskey Bible. So this is probably at the other end of the spectrum from a Canadian whiskey. This is 57.5% alcohol. Um, so I'm curious. Do, for one, what you think of it, Jamie, and then secondly, like if you add you, this type of whiskey, you could add some water to and see how it changes. Yeah, yeah, and I haven't done that yet. I I only have one pour, so I have to be careful. <laughs> um, but but I will say, on the on, from the start, the color is fantastic. It's it's right up there with with the uh, the Glens Creek uh, Bourbon OCD that that I that we've talked about before. It's you know rich, rich Auburn co- color. Um, so far really been enjoying this. Uh, I, I pick up and I'm not very good at tasting notes either, but I pick up some leather and some tobacco. Um, it's got that, you know, good kind of earthy, uh, like I said, leathery kind of taste mm-hmm. that, uh, good, good chewing whiskey. Um, it, it is, I will say you can feel the heat, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the high, the high proof, 
Um, you know, if you, you have to be, you have to be careful with this one because it'll, it might catch you uh, certainly on the back end. Um, so I feel that heat. So I add a little water, um, just to, just to see if it changes it much. And while, while you're doing that, yeah, I, I, right up front there, there's a lot of leather and then all the sweetness kind of, um, caramel butterscotch type yeah. sweetness kicks in and, um, like for me, you know, for, for the proof, it doesn't have as much burn, but maybe that's because I've had too much whiskey. <laughs> Not yeah, tonight, well, I, but. And, and I, and I honestly, I didn't know. So I just wasn't expecting the heat. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I pick up the sweetness and for me, it's more like a molasses, uh, mm-hmm. uh, sweetness. Um, but again, sort of in that good chewy category. Um, but this is a, this is a good sipper, right? I mean, this isn't something you use to make mixed drinks with. This is, this is a good, good sipping, uh, bourbon that, that I could, I could pour a, a good two finger pour and take my time with and really enjoy. Yeah. So I'll, uh, I know Garrison's a, a longtime favorite of yours. Um, uh, and you, I know you've talked about it before. Uh, you certainly keep going, going back to it. So it hasn't. <laughs> yeah. And um, literally going back there. Um, so I think the day this will get released, uh, Friday, September 14th, I'll actually be down in High, Texas, H-Y-E, Texas, um, west of Austin. And I'll be there Friday and Saturday for an annual event that my wife and I do called Bourbon Camp. And it is as awesome as something called Bourbon Camp might sound. Right, right. But um, I'm holding, you know, I've got the two side by side and the Pendleton's is sort of a, you know, a a light beer type color, yellow color. And the the Garrison Brothers, like you said, it's a, it's a reddish, reddish brown. So, you know, it's interesting to see they're all, they're all whiskeys and they're all part of the whiskey family. And it's part of the fun is exploration. So, yeah. Well, let's uh, let's move on to the other the other word in our title and cover some of the the, wit, the lean stuff. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, we 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 are still going back to in the news. Um, uh, that 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 always seems to be fun to, uh, as we react to stuff that we read. Uh, so we have sort of an interesting article this time about bringing lean home, and it's actually an article from the New York Times. Uh, titled "The Surprising Benefits of Relentlessly Auditing Your Life." Um, sounds riveting, right? <laughs> sounds riveting, right? So I, I I don't remember even how I ended up on this article, but but um, uh, I think somebody recommended it to me. Um, and and so so the, the here's the the opening quote is: uh, My husband had been trying to sell me on this method for years before I finally relented. An efficiency consultant who had once worked in the car industry in Japan, he wanted to Toyota way our lives. I wanted him to keep his spreadsheets to himself. So, so that sort of sets up the tone, and this is a very sort of first-person experience with this. Yeah, uh, where they where they definitely go back and uh, and and talk about what they gain. I think the the second and third reaction uh, suggests something different than this first reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, which is really the closest reaction I've gotten um, is you can, you can keep that to yourself, but <laughs> I think 
my first reaction is, is why, right? So why lean at home? Why lean at home, right? So there, there is a, you know, when you're, when you're trying to run a business that has lots of people in it and has a purpose and it's trying to deliver product or service to people um, and, and it, it needs to be as waste-free as possible so that you can invest that money in providing more value and, you know, solve the problems of what gets in the way and deliver that value to the customer. And all that sounds great. But why are those things important at home? You know, is, is, is it, you know, of course, if it, if it feels comfortable to you, that's fine. But if it's, if it's more work to do versus the benefit, you know, who cares if there's a little waste in your life? So, so, so my first reaction, not that I'm against it, is just, uh, just because you're a lean person, doesn't, uh, whether you're a consultant or a, uh, uh, an expert inside a company or just someone who passionately applies it, right? why do you need to bring it home? It comes back to that question from earlier of it, it's a countermeasure to what problem? Right. Um, so, yeah, there, I mean, there's a lot to react to and unpack here. One thing that just jumped out at me as you were reading it, and I was rereading um, the introduction, and, and the subheadline says, we tend to think that good marriages and happy families are born of love and care, not spreadsheets. But what if that's wrong? So a couple of things jump out. One is, what's to assume Toyota or a lean company is not also born of love and care? Love for patients, caring for employees. Um, so I, I, it's puzzling, um, you know, this kind of the, the fixation on, you know, lean as spreadsheets. And then uh, the, the other thing that, that made me cringe because it's a, a pet peeve soapbox issue is her calling her husband an efficiency consultant. And I'm like, well, why not also a quality consultant? Or right. you know, when, when people want to equate lean and Toyota with just, you know, ruthless efficiency of some variety. Well, and, and, you know, uh, always there's a couple of possibilities that pop in my mind. One of which is that, you know, what editors do to articles uh, <laughs> after people write them uh, to make them clear to themselves. Yeah. Attempt to make them clear, clearer or more interesting to the reader. You never know what's original and what's not, but you know, the other is this could be a person who calls themselves either calls themselves an efficiency consultant or, that is what they focus on because there are plenty of people applying lean only to productivity. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so it, it could be a very accurate quote. Um, yeah. And, and the spreadsheets could, could also be that I've certainly have seen, um, I don't say plenty, but you know, a few lean consultants and lean um, practitioners who, who, you know, love their spreadsheets There's nothing wrong with spreadsheets. They're a tool to do a job. Right. But it's not the centerpiece of what what uh, what we I mean, believe is lean is all about. I mean, her husband could be an engineer or an accountant, right? I mean, people absolutely love spreadsheets, but, right? Um, but you know, they talk about you know data, and I have nothing against spreadsheets. Uh, data can be incredibly helpful, especially in workplaces, as related to kaizen and continuous improvement. So she mentions kaizen. But, um, you know, the author says, uh, she and her husband, quote, decided to collect data on everything. Which I'm like, well, it's, uh, again, like, I mean, I think, some, you know, lean is not just about collecting data. And I, <laughs> this is lean whiskey, 
don't want to make it too lean risque, but I'm mean, like, well, I have like data on everything. <laughs> I, mean, I might draw the line somewhere. You, you, you might. Um, yeah. I, and I know, a, uh, I know a guy who was very good at setting goals and uh, collecting basic core data and uh, would measure everything from how many nights of travel he was away from home to uh, how many glasses of wine or at least wine nights, I think he called them to, mm-hmm. uh, to, to dates with his, with his wife. Um, yeah. And, and I do think, I would say that this is that, you know, in general, most people, and this is a, a fairly accurate statement is are, are likely to overestimate the things that they should be doing and underestimate the things that they shouldn't. Meaning yeah. that, you know, if I, uh, if, if I say two nice things a week to my wife, I might believe I'm saying twice mm. uh, just because we, we tend to overestimate the positive things that we're doing and a little reality, you know, it's, uh, you can imagine a, uh, you know, certain relationships blowing up to you never do this and you always do that. And a little data might dampen some of those, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm going to respond to my wife as data driven. She's an engineer and an executive and as data driven as anybody, but I don't know if, well, show me the data. It's going to be a, a great reaction. Prob- probably not the, the right response um, at that point. Right. And, and I do think this wasn't, you know, as you read this article, it wasn't a response to a fight at that point. Yeah. I'm not sure data is really going to even help you, but, but um you know, seem proactive and, 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 and a bit purposeful just to dampen my earlier point. It, it sounded like they did try to apply it in a purposeful way. Um, but I will say, you know, you know, my, my wife's an artist, she's an architect by, by training and practice for many years. Um, uh, she's been more focused on, on family and kids and, and volunteer, lots and lots of volunteer work, uh, since, but, uh, uh, but but show me the data and and even just an interest of uh, boy our kitchen could be more efficient uh, if we laid it out differently uh, and did five s and and again going back to purpose which it all goes back to is uh, it's it's not a disbelief that it would be more efficient it's not being interested in being more efficient in the kitchen yeah yeah and I mean I think of I mean, maybe we talk more about kitchens I, I like to cook and. Um, but you know, thing about data, um, you know, I, I wear a Fitbit and I mean, I, you know, I do look at exercise data, not just how often am, am I exercising, but, um, maybe, you know, the quality of the exercise, you know, I gather sleep data. I don't, I don't, I don't know if I'm sleeping more or sleeping better. Um, so I think there's that question of, you know, a lot, a lot of times we have these automated methods for collecting data. It doesn't mean we necessarily turn it into improvement that happens in workplaces. But, you know, I think there was another line from the article I thought was interesting uh, where, where she said the spreadsheet sparked more honest conversations than we'd had in years. And, and so that, that goes beyond the data where I think, you know, in a workplace, if we've got data and numbers at the surgery center, the main number we were asked to look at was patient satisfaction scores. And there's the scores, but then there are the quality, you know, the kind of the, the, the freeform comments that patients can put in. And, you know, the, 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 the data and even more so the, the comments sparked 
conversations about things that could be improved. Um, so I thought that was an interesting aspect of the story. Yeah, I, I think um, that's where I'm not sure how much data is really needed just to, just to, again, spark a conversation and explore cause and effect and, and so on. Uh, in the end, you know, most data, and this is true of data in, in the workplace as well, doesn't tell you always why. You know, it might tell you if there's a problem, it might tell you where a problem is, but it usually doesn't uncover the why. And this is one of the challenges is that at home, the whys can be more complicated than they sometimes are in the workplace. Yeah. Um, but still, conversation is is there. And, and I'm a bit overreaching here because by no means am I, um, a, you know, sociologist or, or uh, anthropologist studying uh, studying generations and patterns. But there does seem to be in, in today's Instagram world and Facebook world, uh, you know, plenty of plenty of families or, or marriages uh, that they care more whether they appear mm. a good marriage than they actually care about being one. And, and, and that's where I think this can be dangerous. Now, if that's what you want, uh, if you worry about that appearance, um, you know, how many, how many date nights and how many, this and that that we do, how many trips do we take that we post to Instagram? If that's, if that's what you're on about anyway, then, then fine. The data will help you get there, I guess. So again, it, 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 it still like everything comes back to what are you trying to do? What problem are you trying to solve? What are you trying to accomplish? What's your purpose? Yeah. And I mean, yeah, it makes me think there may, there may be some companies that are more interested in winning some sort of lean prize than they are of actually being better as, as a company. So there, there's even before Instagram, I think there are some companies that have been fixated on the perception of their lean journey. And, um, you know, sometimes like, like you said, with people in Instagram possible to put kind of a false front on things. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, five S is famous for that, right. Being tour ready and, looking really good. And, 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 and I talked to a lot of companies about the purpose of their, their lean journey itself. And, and, and as we talk about the approach, we'll, we'll, we'll lay out an approach and say, this is not an approach designed to make, get you to a point where somebody writes a book about you. Yeah. yeah. This is a point, this is designed to get you to where you said you wanted to go, um, which is a whole different objective. If you want, if you want a book written about your lean journey, then, we're going to have to do a whole lot of different stuff because that's, 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 that's sometimes a different blend or certainly a different purpose. Yeah. Um, there's another element to the story. You know, I think beyond 5S and spreadsheets, um, you know, coming back to, to problem solving. And obviously, I mean, this is maybe a thousand word op-ed piece, but there, there's a point where the author says she told her husband, quote, I think you should quit your job. We should sell our house and we should move somewhere cheaper. I told my husband matter of factly one day. So we did. And I'm like, well, did they manage that whole discussion with an A3? You know, she was proposing countermeasures and I'm sure there's a deeper backstory um, to how she reached that conclusion. But those are all pretty big changes. So, you know, it also makes me wonder, well, gosh, what are, are there... Is it even possible to do small tests of change, or that seemed like kind of a rip the bandaid off, make some big changes all at once? Series of changes she was proposing. 
It, it does. Although yeah, I, I will say I told my husband, so we did. Uh, sounds more like a, a regular marriage and there's nothing <laughs> lean about it. So or some old, old, old school workplaces. But again, we, we, we don't know the whole story. Right now we Maybe they had gone through an A3 and built alignment and they both reached that conclusion together. Very possibly. Very possibly. We may never know. <laughs> um, and, and so, so, you know, of course, the easy example, and I've seen, you know, I've had clients and other people I've worked with, and they, they, they put racy charts up in their walls. They, they build process maps sometimes. But the most common sure is, is 5Sing at home, whether it's the kids stuff. I've seen some great, you know, uh, 5Sing of the kids' playroom and where everything goes so that it's back. Certainly the kitchen and, and, and stuff like that. There's a famous toast video, which highlights some of the opportunities. Um, but have you, have you ever done 5S at home? If you mean putting tape outlines around things, no. Um, but, you know, I, I think it all comes back to what problem are you trying to solve and what matters to you? So in our book, Healthcare Kaizen, Joe Schwartz and I have a chapter at the end of the book about people who were inspired to do Kaizen style improvements at home. And there were a lot of examples from people at his organization where, you know, somebody was uh, inspired by the problem of getting the kids out the door on time in the morning. And so they, you could say they five asked some of the, you know, the, the kids backpack um, and, and where supplies and, and, and things needed to get out the door on time were lined up very methodically. That's great. Um, so, you know, the, the, the closest, I mean, I do try to use principles though of putting items close to the point at use, like tools that I use all the time should be closer. Um, at one point in a previous house, I was embarrassed to realize that the knives were like a couple steps away from where I kept the cutting boards and where I did the chopping. So one day, finally, it occurred to me, well, duh, I should swap the drawers and, and now at this house, I've learned from this, the house I'm at now, the knives are in a drawer in the island that's directly above the door that opens for me to grab the cutting board. So I, you know, I've tried to have efficiency um, and, and, and you know, kitchen gadgets that we don't use as often can go in a closet in a spare room. But no, I've, I've frankly never been tempted to... Um, really get the label maker out and uh, label cabinets and put tape outlines around things. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hold anything against somebody who chooses to do that because they find that helpful. What, what, what about you? <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, I always look at what are the mechanisms that's going to keep it in place. And um, so, so, you know, there's no audit uh, that's going to work. There's no uh, real repercussions. Uh, uh, so I, I do some some five Sing of my spaces, uh, my office, mm-hmm. um, uh, and up just because I, I often get up very early, have a, a separate bathroom downstairs which I can keep my way and and um, you know a little section of my garage. But 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 that's about it, and that's where you know, I know where everything is. My space, I don't really have a lot of labels, uh, but I do have you know, plenty of structure behind how it's organized in, in a way that makes sense. Yeah. But, um, 
you know, the shared spaces, I, I, I learn, I just learn how to operate in the, in the shared space because you know, efficiency isn't the, the primary objective. Um, and, and so, you know, there's a lot of things that, you know, I, I know there's a, there's, there's one shelf where you find all the sauces unless it's uh, spaghetti sauce. Cause that's stored where the pasta is. And yeah, I've learned that never made sense to me, but at least now I know what the answer is and I can find <laughs> it. But, um, but I've, I've, I think I've learned not through great experimentation that uh, it's just not a good cost benefit to bring it at home. Um, yeah. I think it all depends on and your, your relationship, your spouse and uh, what you're trying to accomplish with it. Yeah. But when you talk about shared spaces, I, I, you know, I think whether it's at home or in a workplace, something that's a, a personal space like your own desk doesn't require the level of um, 5S formality and discipline as shared spaces, right? So I think of like in a hospital, an, a quote unquote nurses station that's used by nurses and techs and doctors and others and people on different shifts. And well, it's not your space. So there's something to be said for being a good teammate and um, helping keep things consistent for the benefit of others. Um, But, you know, I think there's a different level of formality. Like say, if you want to look at uh, Kanban systems that I've got a number of household items that are on in a way, a two-bin Kanban system, um, you know, the, the Costco packs of toilet paper, paper towels, uh, kitchen trash bags under the sink, um, dishwasher soap tablets, shaving cream, um, things like that. You know, like, well, you know, these, these items are relatively cheap and they don't take up much space and I don't ever want to run out. So my informal two-bin Kanban system, which doesn't require... Uh, cards or barcodes is like when one is empty, like not immediately, but the next time we're at the store, that's going to go on the list that we maintain. And, you know, I can do that without tape outlines and formal cards. That's, I find that helpful. Yeah. And that's, that's the beauty of the two bin system. As long as your inventory is not too expensive, it's not easy to do with cars uh, or kids I found either, but, but the beauty of the two bin Kanban system is as long as your replenishment cycle is less than one use, uh, yes, yeah, rotate and flip as 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 you consume. So it's uh, I, I'd have to say I certainly have uh, uh, several of my consumables on a on a cadence where where uh, the replenishment cycle and the the buffer uh, Kanban inventory is 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 matched up properly. Yeah. I, I don't have Kanban cards uh, for my whiskey bottles. <laughs> no, but that's, that's, uh, you know, if you only had one type of whiskey, then that would probably be appropriate. But you know, when it's, when it's about exploring, it's certainly having a bunch of half full bottles is not the most efficient way to consume whiskey and, and minimize your floor space. But yeah. Uh, Minimizing oxidation fun. of open bottles, but sure. <laughs> Um, so this is lean whiskey. We go back and forth pretty seamlessly, right? Um, yes. But, you know, I think, you know, again, I mean, I, part of me says, you know, to each their own. There's somebody I know who posts a lot of stuff on Twitter and YouTube about um, doing, using lean practices at home. And I think it's great that he does that. I think it's great that he shares it. But, like, there was one Kaizen or you can call it 5S thing he he shared 
um, this idea, and I've heard it from others, is you know, put some empty trash bags down in the bottom of your kitchen trash container because then they're right there when you need them. And and the, the comment that stood stood out, he said something like, "Well, why wouldn't you do this?" And I, my answer is, the place I store the trash bags is like literally three feet from the trash can. It's right. not that big a deal. You know, it's yeah, minor, minor in the next cabinet over, and 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 we do that too, not systematically, right? But it's yeah. it's a nice little simple hack, and and uh, you know you you take your garbage bag out. There's one right there, and you know it's more often than not than than there is. But what's the what's the cost? Right? Well, I, I think there's some risk of let's say the garbage bag. Uh, gets a hole and it leaks and there's a mess and now you've got a bunch of dirty and like you know so I mean, I, there's there's some there's some risk is it a big deal no but <laughs> yeah and, and again it coming back so if if the problem you're trying to solve is you take the garbage out in the morning on your way to work and you never want variation on your arrival to work well that, that makes an awful lot of sense right and and there's there's no variation because you have all the things you do on your way out the door yeah. systematized. So, so I, I think, again, are you looking lean? Are you trying to look lean? Are you mm-hmm. doing stuff that solves real problems yeah. and just, uh, just be, be sensible with your application and, you know, and if it's fun for you, then that's a good enough reason. Go have fun, right? Yeah. Uh, do all sorts of experiments. Yeah. So when you talk about, you know, um, is it, is it helpful and coming back maybe one more time to the New York times article, I think there's a question of sustainment where the author, she wrote, we stopped the project after a year or so, but started again last month. I'm like, well, this sounds like a lot of lean trees where there's enthusiasm and then somehow people get tired of it and they stop doing the things that they said were helpful, which is kind of puzzling. Yeah. And, and of course, if, 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 as the article said that the, the data led to better conversations and then, then that would make a lot of sense that that's what they were doing. Um, And uh, it led to, led to more conversations. As long as they don't move again back to a closer, more expensive neighborhood and reverse all their previous decisions, then, then I say more power to them. Well, maybe maybe their marriage had moved pretty close to a state of perfection. Maybe they had no more need for Kaizen and then new challenges popped up. So they needed this process again. Very possible. And, and, and I appreciate them sharing very, very yeah. openly. It's, uh, you know, I imagine it's not easy to write about your marriage in a, in a, a newspaper <laughs> with quite the circulation. Uh, Cause lots of people sure will, will read that, but I appreciate them sharing their, their own story and their own exploration and uh, I hope, hope it continues to, to go well as it sounds like it has for them. Yeah. Well, and then I hadn't clicked in the comments section, even in, uh, a highfalutin place like the New York Times can be a cesspool. And here's just here's the first comment. So it said, I'm glad this helped you, but it, does it really take a spreadsheet to be able to tell your husband he's a spoiled whiny baby about missing kicking back with his friends while you're spending 14 hours a day on housework and chores? <laughs> first, does it take a spreadsheet for him to hear you? So I'm like, that's the risk of writing anything publicly. And I'm just going to I'm going to close the comments. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just, you know, I generally don't read a lot of comments in, in public articles like that. And I, I see here there's 261 of them, which is an awful lot. 
Um, and I'm sure uh, plenty of trolling in here mm. that uh, isn't isn't helpful at all. But but uh, if nothing else, you know, if it inspired some folks to think more deliberately about how they want to live their lives, yeah. whether they want to go one way or the other, then uh, then then that's then that's fantastic, and it and it did yeah. its job as an article. Yeah, and 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 beyond an article, you're talking about people sharing. There's a book, and it was actually made into a movie that that people might know. Um, and I'm curious if you've seen the original, like it's a black and white movie, Cheaper by the Dozen, Jamie? Yeah, I have not. And I, you know, it's one of those many movies that I I, I have in my the back of my mind that I should see. And I, I seem to be waiting for them to come out on Amazon Prime or or uh or or see it on an airplane, which which is not infrequent. So it's it's on my list of when convenient, I'll probably try and catch the movie, but I haven't seen it. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's corny, but you know, I mean the story behind it and I've read good chunks, maybe I even got through the whole book. Um, But you know, it's the story of Frank Gilbreth and Lillian Gilbreth um, who are arguably two of the, you know, innovators of the whole field of industrial engineering. And so, you know, I think, I think they literally had 12 kids and the move, the book and the movie go through how, you know, this, at the time they would have been called efficiency experts, the both of them, um, you know, trying to manage their lives and their household. The Steve Martin version of the cheaper by the dozen was really about a guy who had a couple who had 12 kids. Like he was a football coach. It's a total, total bastardization of the, uh, the original story. <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen that one either. Although, Steve Martin certainly worth giving it a, sh- a shot as well. well. I think it was more entertaining the Steve Martin one. But sure, it shared a title and a premise of life would be crazy with twelve kids, right? No offense to anyone with twelve kids. So you know, for our listeners, if you've if you've applied lean at home, you know, we we'd love to hear your examples. Um, maybe in a future podcast or blog post, we'll, we'll share some of them. But we'd certainly love to hear you know, what's worked or even what's, what hasn't, um, uh, always, always interested in, in the, uh, you know, how far we can take this, this grand experiment. Yeah. So you can email either of us. My email address is just mark at markgraven.com. Jamie's is. Mine's at jamie at jflinch.com. Jamie leaned out his website name a couple of years ago, right? <laughs> Very, you know, just, uh, yeah, if most people are calling me anyway, then Kept kept it pretty simple and even shortened my name because who needs eleven letters for two syllables? <laughs> um, so uh, we and another thing, if you want to email us, you can send us listener questions, which we generally address each time. Today, I propose that we actually cover talk about a question that was posed by Josh Howell on the Lean Enterprise Institute's Lean Post website, and we'll link to this in the show notes. Um, Josh has a background. When I first met Josh, he was involved with Lean at Starbucks. He's been a coach at LEI um, for a couple of years and and was fairly recently named the new president of LEI. And he posed a question in a post, what's the current state of the Lean management movement? Um, I I, I got drawn in. I commented, hopefully that wasn't um, part part of a cesspool of online comments. But one of the things I said you know, know, we can elaborate on this maybe, is that, you know, it's just, it's really hard to generalize. I mean, if we're going to draw the boundaries that 
broadly. If we were to say, what's the current state of lean at a certain company, that might even have a lot of variation. But but Jamie, and let, let me put you on the spot first. I mean, if you had to generalize or would you even generalize, what's the current state of the lean management movement? Yeah, so so I, I do think it is very difficult because uh, I think there's people that have probably not only not done it, but taken it the wrong way and people who have taken it well beyond what Toyota ever intended. So, so I, I think there's, there's such a spread. Um, but, but what I see when I hear lean management, what, what I see so many people want to jump is to lean leadership and they want to talk about executives and leaders leading people and changing culture. And I certainly talk about that a lot myself, but I call it lean leadership, right? So it's very popular, but it's, it's also, it, it's ill-defined. It's not clear what lean leadership is versus in particular what lean management is. And I, I think it's because we like the word leadership over management. It's sexier. Mm, yeah. And lean management's boring, but management is essential, right? It's managing resources, allocating resources. It's, 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 it's controlling the environment providing stability, uh, execution on a regular basis. I mean, there's a lot to what management is that is important. Uh, so I hate definitions where management's bad, leadership's good. Mm, yeah. Different things, and they're both either done well or done poorly. Um, so point. to me, the lean management movement is actually pretty pretty immature, I think. I think we've – I think we – there were – Practices introduced that supported lean management and, and even some of the key tools like leader standard work, which I think should usually be called manager standard work, um, you know, are, are the few pieces that have remained the essence of what that is. And we really haven't taken it very far. So I, I think lean management is still very, very fresh and I don't see it accelerating very fast either. Yeah, um, and I think it depends. I mean, it's really hard to step back and look at the bigger picture. Um, over time, I get less concerned about broader movements, and I become more concerned about what are we doing at this organization. Like that's that's something you can actually wrap your arms around. And you know, the ambulatory surgery center. You know, that I mentioned earlier, we were trying to get our arms around one aspect of a problem at one small part of a large organization. Um, but it's, you know, it's hard to generalize. There are hospitals doing really great work with lean, if you're going to call that part of a lean management movement. And then there's still, to me, a, a discouraging number of hospitals who get in the cost-cutting mode and will literally lay off their entire lean or process improvement or continuous improvement or performance excellence or whatever the heck they're calling it They'll lay them all off in the name of, well, we need to cut costs. So that's, that's the downside of this quote unquote movement. It's not, it's not all positive. No, it certainly isn't. And I, I think you're right about what's going on at any one company. Um, I mean, I think there's probably some stuff out there that's as good as it's going to get. And there's stuff out there that's as awful as it's going to get. And, and so it really is not where the movement is. It's where uh, it's where each company is. Cause that's, that's where the application, that's where ground zero is for the application. Um, and where we ultimately need to focus. Um, but, but I think, I think what, 
what hurts companies sometimes, again, is not just the poor definitions of lean, you know, is lean efficiency, as we talked about in the, in the news article, yeah. or is it quality or is it delivering value or is, you know, what is it? Then, then how do you manage it if you can't even define it? Right. And so I, I think I think therein lies part of the problem where, you know, lean management of what? What version of lean are we managing uh, within uh, has as much to do whether lean management is good or, or poor as the practices that we would call lean management. Mm. So, again, the overall strategy, approach, philosophy behind lean at any particular company sets the tone for so many other puzzle pieces that fall within um, that it's, it's less about the lean management movement and it's more about the journey at X, Y, or Z company. Yeah. And um, there, there was a second part of Josh's question. And again, we'll, we'll link to this post if people want to go read other people's comments and um, chime in on the, on their own, but he added, there's more of a statement than a question. Josh added, at the end of his question, what's the current state of the lean management movement? It seems to me that as the lean community spreads from generation to generation and industry to industry, the knowledge and practice of critical fundamentals, such as observing, analyzing, and improving the work is being lost. And, and I, I agree with that um, very strongly. I mean, there, there's um, a, a good chunk of my book, Lean Hospitals, is about process observation, observation, uh, observing work, observing patients, observing, understanding, um, so that we can improve. And, you know, if we were doing lean pet peeves, this episode, I guess I'm going there. Um, one of my pet peeves is seeing pictures online and maybe it's just, it's hard to take pictures uh, in healthcare settings, but so often I see pictures that illustrate going to the Gemba as people standing and staring at bulletin boards or whiteboards. And I think sometimes I mean, I've been in environments where I think I'm not overreacting to the pictures, but people are literally never going and observing the work. They're just going and looking at charts and things that are sort of a distillation of the work. Say I brought it back to whiskey again, inadvertently. <laughs> so I'm off, that, off my soapbox, sorry. Well, yeah, so I, I think that that's a really good example as, you know, people saying, well, I'm not sitting in my office waiting for a report to be emailed. I'm going to the work area and looking at their team board and looking at the same, but I'm looking at the same data. And so it's like, yeah, it feels like going to the Gamba. It feels like direct observation. I'm, I'm closer sure, yeah. to the work, but I'm still not at the work. It, it, it's Gamba-ish, if you will. It's ish, yes. It's direct observation-ish. And, and so... I think that's dead on is, is we definitely should not call that Gemba or, or direct observation. That has to be of the work itself. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I'd have to say, you know, my, my, my agreeing or disagreeing with this is that we don't do nearly enough direct observation. We draw way too many assumptions. Uh, we, we, we use the data without, you know, digging past it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't feel like that was ever really well done, broadly speaking, right? At lots of specific companies, it was masterfully done. But it, you know, it, if you go look at uh, you know, all the companies, you know, it wasn't done nearly enough. So I don't, to me, I guess, I don't feel it's being lost as much as it hasn't been well-established yet. 
uh, because it's a, it is a tough habit to, to develop. Um, and, and this is where I think actually talking about lean management versus lean leadership is, is pretty helpful because mm-hmm. leadership is about the people, right? Leadership is, you know, anything from giving a speech to coaching somebody to, to being a good example, et cetera. But lean management is about the work, the work environment, the system that you're in, right? So, so how do we, you know, design, manage, and improve the work itself, right? That is, that is a lot of what management should spend their time doing. And, and it has, I want to say it has nothing to do with people because that's not true. But the work of designing, managing mm-hmm. work, that is, that is management stuff. And, yeah. and I don't think we've gone deep enough into turning that into habit turning that into system. Um, so, so, so I would believe, I would, I would agree with that statement. I'm just not sure I agree yeah. with is being lost part yeah. because I'm not sure it was ever deeply established across many, mm-hmm. many lean journeys. Yeah. So thanks to, to Josh Howell for his uh, you know, thought provoking post over there at uh, LAI. So as we uh, start to wrap up here, um, Jamie had suggested a good question. We've talked before about you know what's a non-lean podcast that you really like the question here what's a non-lean book that you really like you want to go first jamie yeah so so um I, I don't i still don't get enough book reading done that i that i used to and and i i beat myself up for that um but uh over the past couple of years there's a couple of books that i've read that are both pretty darn long. I don't remember exactly how long, but they're, they're pretty thorough biographies, uh, both by the same author. And it's really, I like the author so much. I just looked up what else he's written and said, I'm going to go read something else. Mm. And, and both books I enjoy their same, same generation. One is the house of Morgan. And it's not just about JP Morgan, but his, his predecessors and, and his successors and how that entire system uh, was built from, from the very early days. Um, very detailed history, uh, both of, of, of style and in uh, fact and historical context, right? was a huge part of what goes on there. And then, and then following that is the book Titan about John D. Rockefeller and um you know, John D. Rockefeller has been vilified for a lot of reasons, and many of them are perfectly justifiable. Um, but if you look at really the bulk of his history, he was just a guy trying to run a good business, and uh, he just did it better. Yeah. Um, and and it, again, it goes back to his childhood and how he's brought up and the impact of his father and all these things. And they're just fascinating stories in and really, I think, you know, one of my favorite time periods in at least this country's history. Um, uh, so and, and, and the author is, is just does a fantastic job of capturing uh, emotion and context, uh, historical context and situational context. They're just they were just tremendous enjoyment, uh, enjoyable reads. Yeah. They sound like kind of like the 800 page hardcover books. That I, yeah. Really- I think Titan was a thousand pages. Um, they were both, they were both pretty, uh, uh, pretty big to get through, which is why I maybe haven't read as many books as I'd like to, but, but um, yeah, I just, I just 
kept going back to it. I didn't want to pick up other books because I, I just, I don't say they were page turners, but I was just thoroughly uh, invested in the, in the story that, that he was telling. Are, are you reading these in paper or on uh, format? Those I both read on Kindle. Yeah. This would my travel. I don't think yeah. carrying a thousand page book <laughs> fits in my bag very well. Um, so those, those have both been on Kindle, um, yeah. which, which, which made it probably more likely that I got through them. Yeah. Well, so I generally, I mean, I, I, well, I mean, it's not just generally, like I, I just do not, I do not read novels. Um, I, I, if I'm looking for entertainment, I'm going to watch TV or a movie, but I do read a lot of nonfiction and one that I considered a page turner. It's almost too crazy to make up. Uh, was the book Bad Blood about Theranos. Um, that that was a book that I think I tore through in like two and a half days. I got drawn into that. And I was like staying up later than I should have. And I would think I was working from home one day and I was reading the book instead of doing work I should have really been doing. <laughs> um, yeah, do, do you know, the? Uh, have you read that or seen some of the different programs about the Theranos Story. Yeah, well, I haven't read the book. I haven't read the book. I've I've listened to a podcast series. Well, I forget the name of it. Um, that 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 tried to capture a lot of it, and then uh, in a couple of weeks, they're doing a viewing of a special documentary on it uh, that I'll I'll see at the uh, National Association of Corporate Directors conference. That's two weekends from today. Um, so I'll, I'll see a little more about it there. But it is it is a fascinating story and, and, and one that's not even done being written. Yeah. Holmes is still awaiting trial. So right. We shall see. But I mean, part of the story is um, a governance story, which in your circles uh, and at that conference, that's a very important issue for people to look at. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And then um, I, I, another author I really like, um, and I, I heard a podcast of him being interviewed um, not too long ago, Michael Lewis, who he wrote uh, a whole series of books. Um, and for being nonfiction books, they have a habit of being turned into movies. Um, Moneyball was a book that I read, and then the movie came out. I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know, the book was better, but the movie was good. Um, another one that was in that page turner category though was was the big short about the housing, mortgage, derivatives, financial crisis. Um, there were times I stopped reading that book because I was just so annoyed and angry about you know I was like I just can't read any more of this. But that that was also turned into a surprisingly engaging movie as well. Yeah. So Moneyball, I read the book, but never saw the movie. Big short. I, I haven't read the book, but I did see the movie and I, I, I agree with you know, the idea that you have to put it down because you, you, even though the history is already done, there are moments where you want to reach through the screen or through the pages and, um, you know, whack somebody on the head and say, Hey, pay attention here. This is, this is real stuff. But, but it, 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 it shows, it shows how much you know, we, we all learn in economics of the idea of the rational actor. And uh, we learned how much of true economics is not the rational actor. And the big short captures some of that very, very well. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Well, uh, we're a little bit over an 
hour. Um, I've been savoring, I've been focusing on my Garrison Brothers ball Murray. Are do you, are you still savoring yours? I, I am still savoring, ounces. although I've got about a sip left. So there are two ounces in that bottle. So that's a, a good size pour. Yeah, I enjoyed it. We're going to have to trade some other whiskeys, and I'm sure we'll do some other lean whiskey discussions. So um, as always, I want to thank everyone uh, for listening. Um, to find um, the podcast, one way um, to go find it, if, if this is your first time listening through either of our blogs or you know, if you want to go find the series, one way you can do that is www.leanwhiskey.com. You can spell whiskey, K-E-Y, like the bourbon people and Americans generally do, or you can spell it with a, a K-Y at the end as the Canadians and the Scots and sometimes the Japanese spell it. So either of those will forward um, to my page, leanblog.org slash leanwhiskey. You can also find it if you prefer Jamie's blog. What's the address? jflinch.com uh, slash leanwhiskey. So um, thank you everyone for listening. If you're already subscribed or you know you can do so through, if, if you're not, you can do so through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher. There are probably other services that have picked up the RSS feed. You can also subscribe old school if you want to tap into the RSS feed and do whatever you want with that. Yeah, and we, we really do appreciate people that rate us, review us, subscribe uh, uh, to, the, to the podcast, uh, forward it to others. Or, yeah, we, we, um, you know, we, don't, we don't make money doing this. This is just for fun and for sharing and engaging the community. But it, it's, it's always more fun as the community grows. So we encourage you to share, uh, share this podcast with others as well. And as, as we continue the podcast, Jamie, do we need to do a spreadsheet? Well, we, about, we, we are going to have to do a spreadsheet, um, probably how long each podcast and how many pours we do. Uh, per, <laughs> I was per thinking podcast. about a spreadsheet of, of issues and things that we need to improve in our podcast relationship. That's probably more practical than how many pours we have, but, but I still like my idea. Yeah, we'll have to do that too. So uh, we'll be back again with other episodes and um, other topics and other whiskeys to share and, and, and share. Share and sample. That's not the whiskey talking. That's just me being tired on a Sunday night. Well, either way, to our to our listeners and to each other, cheers. Cheers. I guess I'll... I've got two glasses. I'm going to... All right. Thanks, Jamie. Thank you. Thank you.